this is Gowron, Robert O'Reilly, in Star Trek. Go to Neil Before Pod. Now. 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 Goodbye. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Internet, the current frontier. These are the ramblings of the podcast Neil Before Part. It's continuing mission to converse in endless drones, to seek out new topics and nerdy obsessions, to boldly go on about what many have before. Welcome to a very special edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and we're here to talk about one of my favourite TV shows of all time. In case it wasn't clear from my questionable introduction what that show is, I'll tell you. On 28th of September 1987, incidentally three days after I was born, Star Trek The Next Generation first appeared on American TV screens. It's been a big part of my life since before I can remember and I'm delighted to be here talking about it. Joining me in talking about it is my number one, Nick Cook. All I have to do is beam him in. Welcome aboard, Nick. Thank you very much. Transport go okay? I've been getting the hang of it. Pretty much. I think my leg might be about three millimetres shorter, but otherwise I'm okay. Yeah, that's what we call in the transporter industry a win. Groovy. So, why are we here? We're here because Star Trek The Next Generation is 30 years old, or soon will be, as of the time of this recording. 28th September uh, 87 was its US air date, according to Wikipedia. So, three days after I was born, uh, Star Trek came back to television. How about that? Terrifying. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how old I was. (laughs) Well... Uh, I couldn't quite watch it at that point, um, but I eventually did come round to watching it. So uh, I think we'll just launch straight into spoilers rather than um, rather than do the we're not going to spoil it dance thing because just in case spoilers. just in case there's a spoiler for a thirty year old show that that someone's like holy crap why did if, you say that if you're a fan you've already seen it <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway I uh, will set us to spoiler alert. Okay, uh, we'll start off with 
your personal connection to Next Generation. Obviously, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have one. So, um, how do you feel about it? Do you remember how you got into it? And what is it you love or maybe don't love about it? The funny thing about TNG, I, 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 I mean, I grew up watching the original series. Actually, I grew up watching the animated series and then progressed to the original series. Um, and I probably wa- I didn't watch the original series first run, but I certainly watched the animated series probably first run as a very small child. Um, and my earliest memories of watching anything on television actually is the animated Star Trek. I could even tell you what episode, funnily enough. So, you know, I... I, I was, tell us. Um, it was the counterclock incident, the one where they all get younger. Yes. And Captain April's in it. <laughs> anyway... Um, I was a big, bigger, big original series fan. Loved the original series. Loved Kirk, loved Spock, loved McCoy. So I was still in school, albeit high school, when I heard about Next Generation. And, um, yeah, I was not keen at all. You can't do Star Trek without Kirk and Spock. And I have to say that that was not an uncommon attitude at the time. Um, And funnily enough, almost reliving that these days with Discovery. Anyway, back in those days, we didn't have internet, we didn't have torrents or any of that kind of thing, and you could wait a couple of years at least for any of these shows to get from America to the UK. Um, So the only thing we had at the time was the likes of Blockbuster Video, and they would occasionally put things out on video rentals. Um, So... I was at uni, and it must have been around... i just started uni. I think it was 1988 or 89, and the f- first few episodes came out on video rental in Blockbuster, and I think I hired... I remember the first ones I see, it wasn't the pilot. It was two episodes called The Naked Now and Code of Honor, and I rented them, two episodes on the video. I was about to say DVD there, video. <laughs> and, I never watched um, it again. <laughs> and I... Yeah, it was. it was... <laughs> Dreadful! It was awful. I'm naked now, thinking, why are they ripping off an original series episode and doing it so badly? And Code of Honor. Well, I mean, everybody knows how bad Code of Honor is. It's like you know the the racist episode Code of Honor, as it's generally <laughs> known. Anyway, it was. I was not impressed. I hated it. And to be fair, I went in expecting to hate it. So a little bit later, I saw oh, Encounter at Farpoint. The pilot was out for rent. So okay, I'll give it another try. So I tried that one, and I watched it, and I hated it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't really give another one. Oh, it's a lot of rubbish. It's, oh, it's not Star Trek. So it was about a year later, and um, back in these days, the only way people could get new episodes was someone in America would record it to video, shove it, post it out to someone in the UK or wherever you were, and someone else would record it, and you would get, like... I'm talking, like, have you ever seen... Like, you may not know, but when you record video again and again and again and again and again on videotape, it just gets more and more degraded. I'm old enough to to be a connoisseur of VHS, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this is like, so, you know, you could get like these like 10th generation copies of copies of copies that would kind of do the rounds of clubs and conventions and things. And it was when it was, I think it was about 1990 because season two had aired and there was somebody in uni, wasn't in my class, but they were, at this, they were in the same university as me. And word had got around that I was a Star Trek fan. And so, oh, I've got these episodes. Like, oh, okay, I'll give it a try. So I can't remember what one I saw first. But it was a couple of second season episodes. I remember thinking, 
hmm, well, this isn't as bad as I remember. It's like, this is actually okay. And I watched a few, and then I got to, it was either Pen Pals or Q Who, and I thought, wow, this is actually getting good. Um, so I kept, so I was getting tapes borrowed off of this guy, and I would watch them. And then it came to season three, and I liked the season three opener, and then eventually got to an episode called Who Watches the Watchers, and that blew my mind. It was, it, to this day, remains one of my f- top three favourite Star Trek episodes, and probably my favourite Star Trek episode. It just resonated with me in so many ways, and it was just so well written, and the performances were so great, and there's just, there's moments in it that just, yeah, they just, they just get to me. Anyway, from that point on, I, I really became a big fan of TNG, and over the next several years, I mean, things like Best of Both Worlds, Darmok, you know, episodes like that, and over those next few years, to be honest, TNG became my show. Now, I mean, I, as I said, I wasn't a first generation, next gen, original series fan, and I was probably the second or third generation, second generation. But TNG became my series, and while I was a child growing up with the original series, I kind of matured into an adult with Next Generation. So for me, Next Generation is my maturity series, and it still kind of has... I like DS9 a lot. DS9's a big, big thing for me. I love that show. But TNG's probably just pips it as my favourite show, largely for nostalgia in some ways, I think. But uh, it's still my favourite show, and more so than the original series these days. Yeah, fair enough. Um, my personal connection to TNG is a bit more fragmentary than yours. I don't remember what got me into it, although my uncle and my gran would sort of sit me down in front of the TV, you know, when it was on BBC Two mm-hmm. at whatever time at night, 6.45, some weeknight, and, uh, you know, so it'd be on and I'd be always watching it. And I would watch that and the original series, which were the only ones that existed at the time. We're talking early 90s here. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking the original series was kind of crappy, because it looks kind of crappy, and when you're a kid, it's less than impressive. Um, and I was a kid, it was very impressive. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't resonate with me completely, but then I would see an episode like The Doomsday Machine, which was just a lot of fun, and then I would enjoy that. But <clears throat> Next Generation, I responded so much better to, because it looked better, and I really liked Data. You know, I always liked Data. I always remember enjoying that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, when you mentioned Q Who, that is an episode that I firmly remember watching, uh, and being glued to the first time that I saw it, which was just on TV. That episode thought, is amazing. Yeah, and it's such an important episode for the franchise. I suppose good and bad because it introduces the Borg, which are, you know, these iconic villains. Ironically, a rip-off of a Doctor Who villain, essentially. Um, and they become so ubiquitous <laughs> throughout, you know, every... Well, except from Deep Space Nine. Although Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine started with the Borg, weirdly, actually. But every show has had that Borg episode mm-hmm. you know, the the definitive Borg episode and then Voyager had them become panto villains but that's another story. In a lot of ways I think I wish they'd used them less Yeah and well to be fair in TNG every time they use the Borg they use them differently mm-hmm. you know the the first time you see them they're like this this threat that's coming for them the second time they're the threat <coughs> that's, that's here mm-hmm. you know the, the threat is there uh, they have to deal with it, and then the next time it's just one single Borg, and you get a bit of information on what makes them tick. And then the time after that, it's a sequel to that, where the consequences of what they did in that episode. So every time you see them, it's different. They're not all mm-hmm. great, but 
but it keeps it fresh. Whereas no, Voyager, it was very repetitive. Every time they appeared, it was you will be assimilated. The escape. You'll well, be Voyager assimilated was also escape. very repetitive. Yes, it definitely was. And I, uh, and, you know, I like Voyager, but yeah, it didn't quite have the same impact as some of the other shows. No, definitely not. Um, although it was probably one of the more popular because it was essentially Star Trek for dummies. Um, I mean, in the sense of it's you know. <laughs> Not that I think that all Voyager fans are that. <laughs> no, it's in the sense of uh, you know when, well, when you get your Windows ninety five for dummies or Excel I for know dummies, what you mean. yeah, uh, it's almost like a, here's your in- entry into this franchise that's a bit easier to digest than some of the other ones. I mean, uh, certainly by the time Voyager rolled around the, sh- the series, there's, you know, the vet- Star Trek in itself was becoming a little bit harder for people to get in if you weren't already a fan. Yeah. Yeah, it starts to get a bit like DC or Marvel Comics where they're just so big and it's like, mm. I, can't, I can't get into this. I don't know where to start, you know. But, yeah. Which, weirdly, they were all broadly episodic so you could just jump mm-hmm. in whenever and you'd be okay. And I think um, that was always the intent. Yeah. So, yeah, TNG, uh, always loved it. Um, I don't know, I went through a bit of a hipster phase where I was like, no, nah, the original series is better. And uh, the original series is important because it started this whole thing off, but I do mm-hmm. think... I think Next Generation takes what the original series did and perfects it. You know. Yeah. They're... Well, uh, not so much perfect it, but I think Next what Next Generation did, DS9 to an extent as well, was reinvent the wheel. Now people are going to disagree about whether that reinvention was the right one or not. And but I think that was what Star Trek needed. It needed to be reinvented. And TNG very much did that. And I think yeah. Discovery, I hope Discovery is going to do something similar. Yeah, Discovery needs to modernise it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because it's competing with some pretty top-drawer drama on television. Mm-hmm. And the, this episodic, you know, everyone's all everyone all gets along, la-la-la, is not going to cut it in a modern television mm-hmm. landscape. You know, um, not, that it, not that I wouldn't enjoy it, but I'm up for a bit of modernisation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose, like, I think Next Generation was kind of subtly um, changing... What they could get away with on television in terms of and I mean, viewers' expectations. Next Gen certainly played with some mini arcs. I mean, the whole Wharf yeah. had an arc throughout the series. The Klingons had an arc throughout the series. Yeah, it was just they would return to it now and again. Yeah. Sort of had an arc through the series. Riker and Troy certainly did, although they kind of danced around it much, you know. Um, yeah. You know, there was certainly more of a thread of ongoing history to these characters than there was in the original series. Um, they kind of tried to do that in the original series movies and then it got thrown out the window after Star Trek IV. But, <laughs> you know, we're just going to go back and pretend like, you know, it's reset every movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, they, they sort of subtly introduced the whole serialization mm-hmm. concept by keeping it way in the background. And mm-hmm. all it would literally be is someone would reference an earlier mission. And, mm-hmm. You know, and the, the more fanatical viewers would be like, I remember that episode. Yeah. Or, I mean, that contradicts that episode because of this. You know. I do think as well, I mean, I think sometimes we we make a little bit too much of the no conflict as well. I think there was more conflict in TNG than people often think about, to be honest. It wasn't always front and centre, but it was there from time to time. It I think there's always... less of it in season mm-hmm. one and two, though. You know, you get, certainly the, the Starfleet characters agree with each other more than they really should. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got points where 
where Picard should just tell someone to shut up and he doesn't, um, or anything like that. Um, that's why I quite liked Pulaski. It's not an un- it's not a popular opinion. But yeah, she was a, you know, she was a shot in the arm for the the show. Dislike Pulaski, but I don't think she didn't fit in well with the ca- other characters for some reason. I've never been able to quite figure out why. She just didn't really work for me. She was very standoffish. I think that's the issue. You know, the it may just yeah. be the fact that I liked Crusher, but um, <laughs> yeah. Although there was nothing to crush her in season one, so no, there wasn't. So any, I think anything you're assigning to crush her mm-hmm. probably is your well, future possibly. knowledge of her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Pulaski. I must admit, I didn't hate her by any means, but um, I didn't like the fact that she was she 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 kind of put me off early on by being a dick to Data. Yeah, but then she, that, that was yeah. part of her arc because then she came to embrace Data. But you know. Yeah, she had the famous, uh, she called him Data, and then mm. he was like, that's not my name, and uh, yeah. like, what's the difference? Mm. <laughs> and he says, one's my name and the other isn't. I think I think the big problem with Pulaski is that she was pretty much at odds with everybody at some point. Yeah. And there was too much conflict with Pulaski. They didn't strike the balance very well, and she just didn't seem to have a rapport with Picard. No. Now, whether how much of that was a fact that the cast didn't really get on with her, I don't know. Yeah, she was, was kind of strong-armed in, wasn't she? Uh, yeah, and uh, there was certainly some friction there. Yeah. Very famously. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so my memory of getting into TNG is not clear. I know it was because of my gran and my uncle and my dad and my granddad as well. Other than that... It's always been some. It's just something that I've always kind of watched, and always enjoyed. And it's some. It's probably the the number one show that I revisit, whenever you know. I can always think of an episode that mm-hmm. I'm in the mood for at a given time. It's just I know the season series inside out practically. And there's some episodes that I would happily skip, mostly in the first couple of seasons. Some in the later seasons too. But there are um, episodes in there I've watched literally hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, it's great and you know I love the, the characters I love the design of the Enterprise D um, I loved all the kind of moral messages that it taught me growing up uh, and the way it made me think about things in different ways um, obviously there's things to there's things it doesn't do quite so well I think some of the characterization is quite thin yeah um, I mean I, I, I like Riker a lot but he's not a deep character no. Think Troy, neither of them particular. I like them, and I like the actors, but they're not particularly deep characters. And I mean, the one, the ones that are really particularly deep are kind of Picard, Data, Jordy, not so much. And again, I, I, I like all the characters, but it certainly, and this became a big problem in the movies. It was a lot of the time Picard and Data show. Yeah, even when other characters would get their episodes. It still kind of always came around. It was certainly more Picard and Data were the standouts and they got more development. Yeah. And Worf didn't come into his own until he jumped onto another show. No. I mean, Worf certainly had... Worf was probably, of the the ones that had more background and characterization. he was probably one of the three, to be fair, um, beside Picard and Data. Yeah. Because he had a lot of 
stories. I mean, he was obviously tied into all the Klingon stuff, and he had quite an arc there. Yeah. In fact, that was probably one of the biggest arcs in TNG was the Klingon story, and that indelibly had Worf involved in it. Yeah. Um, of course, and it was all to do with his family and and the discommendation he suffered mm-hmm. by you know it's it's a bit strange actually. I mean, it's one of those problems of of course every member of your cast is insanely important to the universe. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, this is obviously the the Enterprise is the best of the best, and then mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine also has the best of the best. So like yeah. Picard's supposed to be the the best captain in Starfleet. He's front and center for all the cool stuff. And then you've got Cisco, who's also kind of the best captain in Starfleet, and he's but not really. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so yeah, the the crew are all like majorly important. You know, mm-hmm. Data's like the the ambassador for his race of androids that includes mm-hmm. two, well, three. Um, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Troy is practically royalty on Beta Z, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Um, you know, it, it could have been. You could have had a few more just. Yeah, these are just people that join Starfleet for their own reasons. They're not like. Well, I think that's one of the things that was nice about Barclay. Yeah. Yeah, he was just a guy who wasn't very good at his job, and then. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he was good at his job. He just wasn't yeah. good at, at being part of the crew. Yeah. He was socially inept and shy, and you know that was a character that actually I think most of us as fans probably relate to in one way or another. <laughs> Yeah, we'd all love to be in the Enterprise and everyone would be like, ah, oh, I'd like to be Riker, but reality is most of us are Barclay. <laughs> yeah, or worse, Absolutely. Wesley Crusher, you know. But, well, uh, Wesley grew on me as years went by. I think him, I think following Will Wheaton Once after the fact has been, you know, has made him more interesting as a character mm-hmm. as well. He wasn't great in the first season, but once they got into the second season and put in that grey jumpsuit, he, he improved, the writing for him improved as well. Yeah. Child, uh, child genius type mm-hmm. stuff that was always annoying. Oh yeah, yeah. When he became more fallible later on, it was more interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I think I've covered why I love the show. I can't define why I love it. I just do. I think um, you know it's one of those just early childhood things that stays with me, and um, I think I got into it at the right time because it's I'm able to appreciate it with nostalgia, but I also kind of grew up watching it as well. So. You know, that's the same for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we could talk a little bit about kind of we've talked a bit about the early buzz and the fan reaction. You said mm. that you know you said that fans were quite venomous to it. Uh, I mean, certainly there were people who were excited to see it, but I think certainly in the circles I moved in, and there wasn't we didn't have an internet then. To be fair, it was all in magazines like Starburst and TV Zone stuff like that I I don't recall anybody being excited about it but I mean my my experience was certainly not exhaustive I certainly wasn't excited about it I was actively opposed to it um, which in hindsight seems so silly as a TV show but you know as I said earlier you see it again with Discovery people have you know decided this is what Star Trek is for them and they're not interested in this until it airs and they decide they actually like it but you know I won't take that attitude again. Yeah, I, d- I don't recall people being so venomous about Enterprise. I think there was. There I think was it was writing a crest. Venom about Enterprise because it was a prequel, but it probably yeah. wasn't as bad as it has been for Discovery. Yeah, it was kind of riding the, the wave of Voyager, though, where people were quite mm-hmm. pumped and, and, you know, it was weird going from 
well, it was t- from two series to one series to still one series. It was very yeah. strange in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any input to the early reaction. I just know how I thought about it when mm-hmm. when I was watching it, and I didn't really have any exposure because being at, at primary school, I didn't really know anybody who yeah. actually liked Star Trek, which was. Um, which was difficult growing up. Yeah, most of, I mean, to be fair, most of my fan friends were made after I left school and went to uni. But yeah. um, I don't remember anyone being particularly enthusiastic about it. And I do remember a lot, you know, comments in magazines and things were not positive. But having said that, I remember, you know, people tell the stories of when the cast of TNG did conventions around the time they were starting work on the series or about the time it was going to air. And to be honest, they had, I think they mostly at their panel had a fairly positive reaction from people that were there. So So people wouldn't say it to their face. Possibly. But I mean, (laughs) I suspect, and I think it's much like you see now with the negativity towards discovery, the people that were negative to it were very loud and very vocal. And I know I was loud and vocal to anyone that would listen at the time about TNG, but I suspect there's a lot of people as well who weren't loud and weren't vocal or were more casual fans who, did keep an open mind and certainly I mean it was a ratings runaway in its day I mean it was incredibly successful it was the number one syndicated show for I, I, don't, I can't recall if it was for its entire run but certainly for a lot of it yeah long enough for them to keep it on as long as they oh, did yeah. certainly yeah yeah, yeah. Is, you know seven years it almost became the the go-to um thing that you know the go-to hope that mm-hmm. producers wanted for a tv well, series it, you know it became mainstream yeah which certainly star trek before it hadn't been in a lot of ways yeah yeah because i remember when buffy made it to seven seasons i was like mm-hmm. well that's just the norm all the star trek mm-hmm. series do it as buffy's now doing it and yeah they, and now you get different lengths of series supernatural is never ending for instance yeah. smallville had 10 seasons and so on you know um all sorts of other things. So, I mean, for like genre television, obviously mm. you get things like ER that ran for mm-hmm. however long, and, and whatever. Years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was very much a behemoth in, uh, in terms of television, and it was mm. probably the the most expensive looking show on the air mm-hmm. at the time. I would say, you know, the the visual effects were always very striking, mm-hmm. uh, and not even just for television, they were just striking and. Well, I mean, they were filmed with models and by yeah. ILM in a lot of cases, and. Certainly for the early, for the pilot, the ILM shot a lot of the model work. So, I mean, you know... Yeah, that they used from then on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it's perfectly mm-hmm. good. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. Um, so there was one exit from the show. Um, Denise Crosby, she left in season one. Not even at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. Unceremoniously, like, midway through. Uh, I don't know that much about the reasons for that. I know she wasn't feeling fulfilled her character wasn't feeling fulfilled think, at all. I think that's generally it. I mean, she wasn't happy. She didn't see it going anywhere. She wasn't enjoying it. She had a chance to pursue movie work, so she took it. She leaped. She yeah. jumped. Um, to be honest, I think it was probably the good thing for the series because it trimmed the cast down a little bit and meant the others got more screen time because uh, they probably were character heavy at that point. But yeah. it's interesting how she spent the next six years trying to come back. Yeah, and uh, up until that point, Worf had absolutely nothing to do. He well, stood it was behind her on the bridge, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, I, I question whether Worf would have got the development he did if she hadn't have gone. He yeah. might have, 
but maybe one of the others would have missed out. Possibly Riker or Troy mm. might have been one of the ones that would have missed out. Probably Jody, to be honest. They would have had to define what he did on the ship as well, which mm. they so far hadn't. Mm. He was just kind of cutting about doing various things. Jordy. Sometimes he'd Worf. Sit like, yeah, Worf. Yeah. Well, Worf was the uh, mission ops officer. Yeah, is, so he would he would sit at the helm sometimes as well, just mm-hmm. depends. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, yeah. I think that was it. Was a shame to see her go because I did like the character, but and I have to admit, while the episode they kill her off in is not good, her funeral scene was actually very well done. The funeral scene well was really good, yeah. And when they brought her back in yesterday's Enterprise, this whole thing about oh, her having a a senseless death, a meaningless death. Well, that's true but i kind of like the fact that sometimes that's how life is so in any ways it was actually quite a realistic way to take her out the show yeah it's just a normal away mission yeah she died and that was mm-hmm. it yeah and these they, you know that's life and yeah. that was a dose of reality that star trek's never really that i kind of avoided at that point and then you know promptly avoided it for the next 10 years or whatever longer but mm-hmm. um until they really badly killed off Dax, but, you know, <laughs> oh, that was bad. Well, I kind of thought that TNG would do little bits like that here and there. So you've got the um, the episode where Worf has the opportunity to save a Romulan's life, and that he keeps great, refusing. And he didn't. That, yeah. was, that was amazing. I, that's an episode, actually, that's really one of my favourites, The Defector. And the fact that Worf doesn't make the right decision is... And again, there's that, you know, no conflict, no conflict, but... That was conflict. That was conflict, and it was it was great. I mean, you know, if that was possibly in season seven, you wouldn't have seen something like that. But, I mean, that was TNG being quite kind of gutsy. It's like, well, he's the hero. He should do the right thing. But he doesn't. The, the he lets episode, the guy the die. was the, the enemy, not the defector. And that's... Sorry, you're right. It was the enemy. <laughs> but I know. Yeah. Those both two favourites of mine. But, um, yeah... But the fact that he doesn't make that he doesn't do the right thing, that was amazing. And Picard's clearly disappointed in him, but doesn't yeah. push it. Well, there's that, um, yeah, because all other television of the time, it would be mm-hmm. this telegraphed arc. He's going to be resistant at first. Mm-hmm. They'll find some common ground, and then mm-hmm. he'll be like, fine, save the Romulan. But, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't. Throughout, he's great. just like, nope. Nope, not doing it. They killed my parents. No, nope. and actually, yeah. I think that that kind of flies in the face a lot of times. Like, oh, the goody goody TNG crew. Well, he clearly wasn't there. Yeah, and they did that a couple of times with with various things. You know, people making opposite mm. decisions in certain ways. You know, but uh, sometimes Pegasus. it would be in the yeah. The Pegasus is a is a particularly good one as well. Probably Despite. one of Riker's best episodes. That and Second Chances. Interestingly, yeah. the last episode of Enterprise really kind of detracts from that but hey ho yeah well in, in the Pegasus it's clear that Riker's struggling with the decision oh yeah and not, in, not running in, off to the holodeck to play chef to decide yeah. to do the right thing you're like really yeah really? in Enterprise he's yeah in an Enterprise he's like well I think I'll tell Picard later you know I've made up my mind but oh, in the Pegasus geez. it's just yeah. in the Pegasus it's we're trapped inside an asteroid I know a way out the the fate the the Protection of the ship is more important than keeping this secret, so therefore... I'm tell, just yeah. going to ignore that that never happened. <laughs> yeah, never most, people, happened. most people do. That yeah. episode is apocryphal yeah. at best. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, on the same subject as Denise Crosby's exit, that came roughly around, 
well, it wasn't long after that that the production team changed as well. They kicked Gene Roddenberry upstairs. Well, yeah, and yeah. I can't remember exactly. I think it probably during season two, possibly season three, but his health was failing as well. And I think that was a large part of him being kind of like, he wasn't capable of being involved to that degree anymore. Maurice Hurley was still the producer or lead writer. I can't remember which of them. Maurice Hurley was, I'm sure he was an exec. Was he right? Did he lead the writing team? Crumbs, I can't remember at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> Maurice Hurley exited at the end of season two, and you notice a change in the tone of the show again at that point. That's mm-hmm. where Michael Piller came in and was running and took over the writing room. And it's a big change for the series. Yeah. The tone's different, the writing's different, the way the characters react to each other is different. Um, it's just a better, more cohesive show. And obviously where that whole... You know, the show takes three seasons to, you know, hit its stride kind of thing, which really did become a bit of a thing for the sequel or the yeah. following shows. But yeah, it's um interesting. But yeah, big changes in there. And like I say, I mean I think by season three Roddenberry wasn't much involved, but it's a long time ago, I can't remember all the dates and so forth. Yeah. Although I did watch Shatner's documentary Chaos on the Bridge. Yeah, that was, was that's interesting. It's a really bad documentary, though. It is actually. Oh, I loved that. It was hilarious. I just, I, I don't know the, the, the way. It was, yeah, there were some very. It's too much. Of didn't it film about it, you know. Too much of it is about Shatner, I think. But yeah, you know, he makes. And it, he had nothing to do with it. Because, I know. You know. Um, um, I noticed Maurice. Talk- Maurice Hurley was interviewed on that actually, and just came off as, you know, quite a bitter guy. And they talk about the lawyer. Was it? Was it oh, Leonard Maislish. Yeah. Guy was nuts. Yeah, and he was. You he know? was running the show at one point, wasn't he? Pretty much, um, yeah. by proxy, you know. But um, he was booted out the door as soon as, you know, yeah. they could. Yeah. And all for the better. I think uh, I think well, TNG yeah. would never have never survived if they hadn't, No, you know, sharpened up and changed yeah, it. And because... I think from what I remember, I mean, Maislish was pushing the note, had something to do with pushing that no-conflict thing even harder as well. I mean... I think this strict adherence to Gene's vision thing, part of that was from him as well. Yeah. Well, I remember I saw Ronald D. Moore chatting about it. It was one of the conventions I was at. Mm-hmm. You know, people were talking about how uh, Deep Space Nine sort of strayed from the Roddenberry-esque Star Trek in a certain way. And, and he was talking about how people, some people see Roddenberry as this visionary where he was just a, he was just a television writer. I, the I love the universe he created, but at the end of the day, he was a TV, he was a writer... And an executive producer who was out to make money. And, yeah. you know, I don't doubt that the things that he's put in there, he was a humanist and, you know, he was a liberal. And the things he put in there, I, I, I don't doubt that he believed them, as do I. But I think that was also, it was also true that he was there to make money and be famous and be successful and to meet lots of beautiful women. And, <laughs> to cheat know, on his wife with. Well, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, Roddenberry was certainly a man's man of his time. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the universe he created is, I mean, it's excellent. We've well, it's... numerous podcasts about mm-hmm. it, you know, it's talk about it all the time. It's mm-hmm. it's beloved, but at the end of the day, uh, as an idea, he doesn't own it, and it can be changed, it can be explored in different ways. And a lot of other people have contributed to it over the years. Yeah. And, I mean, he changed it himself, I mean, the original series was a very different beast to TNG, as was DS9. 
as was Voyager, I guess. I think Voyager's problem was it was trying to live up to this idea of what Star Trek was as opposed to trying to be its own thing. Yeah. TNG didn't really have that problem because TNG did invent, reinvent the wheel and so did DS9. But mm-hmm. Voyager was stuck in this kind of like, we're trying to be TNG. We're trying to be original series. Yeah. And then, we're neither. And then Enterprise was trying to be Voyager. Well, I'm not... To an extent. I'm not sure that's true. I think Enterprise was trying to was trying to break new ground but I think the problem was it didn't try and break enough new ground and the writers were just tired because it I think that's yeah. a problem I think they needed a lot more new blood and I mean you see in it, you know it couldn't decide if it wanted to be an actual prequel or not yeah. and I think by the time they decided they did they kind of they you know they'd hit their mark but it was too late by that point yeah Far unfortunately because the network doesn't want to support it anymore yeah um, so We'll start at the beginning when we were talking about the actual show itself. We've touched mm. on so many episodes already, but the first episode, I think we should just spend a little time talking about that because mm-hmm. it, I think it's important in the way that it, um, you know, the way it, the way it begins the show and mm-hmm. how different it gets from there. Uh, in terms of whether it's any good or not, I mean, I literally just rewatched it this evening and um, or finished rewatching it this evening, and I actually really liked it this time out. A lot of my memories of it were pretty; it was pretty bad, but. And it is, it's very bloated and it's very weirdly paced. You know, you've got the the way they introduce the characters is all over the place because you've got Picard seeming familiar with Data early on and then unfamiliar with others. Um, you know, it's unclear how long he's been in command of the Enterprise for. They have Q introduced in the first 10 minutes and you've got that weird saucer separation within the first 50 minutes. It's just crazy how all over the place it is. It doesn't give you any time to settle in. The problem is, it was written as a one-hour pilot around the whole Farpoint story. Farpoint was the story. Yeah. And then the network wanted a two-hour pilot. So Roddenberry took the script and created the character of Q and rewrote it and integrated that in. I don't think he did a great job of doing that. And to be honest, I don't think Q works that well in Farpoint. I think if you took the original Farpoint story and that was your pilot, I think it would be a better, more coherent story. I think the problem is the pacing's mixed up, the structure's mixed up. It's just not as coherent as it could have been. And the performances, with the exception of Patrick Stewart, are not great. I think the show looks great, especially in the remastered. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. I just don't think... I think the script lets it down to a large extent. And the other problem, there's no chemistry between the characters. None at all, no. They just hadn't found their feet. It takes them a while to find their feet on that. Even Riker and Troy, who are supposed to have chemistry. Well, they don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, Patrick Stewart is excellent. I think Jonathan Frakes does a good enough job. Although there's Frakes a kind of sense that he doesn't know what he's doing. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't. Because the direction was all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the cast are fine. There's nothing wrong with the cast, but their performances just come across rather flat. Whether that's direction, I don't know. It yeah. could be just the direction. Could be. Could yeah, be the editing. Could be, yeah. Um, there's something really weirdly 80s about it, you know, the reliance on reaction shots. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the bit where something dramatic happens and you get close-ups on everybody's face. Oh, yeah. And they're all looking that's disinterested, you know. There's, there's no real shock. There's no there. passion in the characters. Yeah. yeah. They're really flat. And I think that's the other problem. With the exception, I suppose Data's probably one of the more expressive characters in it. Yeah. And then there's Geordie. Thankfully, is yeah, 
crazy jive talk doesn't come up until later, but you know. <laughs> yeah, Jordy's a, a strange one, and I think um, Gates McFadden was probably. She felt certainly watching it this time. She felt the most awkward to me. I I, I, I think again. I don't think they put in enough thought in, into the characters and into the script. I think the script was just a mishmash, and it shows. I mean, it is. It's two different stories mushed together and not very well mushed together. I don't hate it by any means, but as pilots go, it's probably the weakest of the modern pilots. Yeah. It's funny. It reminds me of the motion picture in some ways, as in they just throw special effects in and hope for the best. Yeah, there's probably an element of that too. Yeah. Let's have the extended separation sequence and let's have a long sequence where Riker has to tell Data to dock the ship. Yeah. let's, Let's have the... Let's have this weird chase sequence with this ball yeah, of fire, absolutely. you know. Um, so there's all these, and you know, it's like, there's no reason for any of these to be happening other than they've got a couple of minutes to kill. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's no good reason for Picard to say, "I want you to dock the saucer." With well, not to mention safety yes. protocols. You're going to dock the saucer. Actually, all you're going to just stand on the bridge and say, "Now." <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. actually do anything other than tell somebody else to do it. Yeah. It's like I, I'm sorry, but that's terrible writing. And terrible and, direction, because there's no indication there that Riker's doing anything other than tell somebody else to do it. Yeah, and here's a helm officer who's probably never done this before. Yeah. So there's a high risk that we're just going to collide with our own yeah. ship. So, yeah. Uh, what, what are you doing, Picard? Why are you in charge again? I know. <laughs> but you get the, the sense of, um, you know, the the wonder of exploration and... Mm-hmm. and the, um, well, I think that's something that in the first two seasons is very much there, and then yeah. for some reason disappears by season three, and it's or it's certainly reduced by season three, and then by season four it's gone. Yeah, there's no sense that there, season one and very much season two have this different feel. It's different out on the frontier feel, and it's interesting to see that disappear as it becomes more familiar. Yeah, and it's the idea they're just floating about. Lit and, yeah. yeah, it's just a different show later on. They're floating about within Federation space doing stuff, but it's mm-hmm. all pretty prescribed to them. You know, there's mm-hmm. none of this. Oh, look, there's an. Well, there's less of this. There's an anomaly that looks interesting. Let's take a few days and go for mm-hmm. a look. You know, like, that did happen. Um, mm-hmm. Or they would stumble across something that was trying to kill them. But even yeah. when they do that, it doesn't feel like they're out on the frontier. It doesn't yeah. feel like they're. In space, like deep, deep space away from things. Yeah, and I suppose the idea is that the far point, you know, essentially they failed to, you know, preserve far point because mm-hmm. the alien flies off. So I suppose um, certainly it's covered in one of the Titan novels, mm-hmm. where the idea was that that starbase was supposed to be like a staging area for the Federation yeah, to I explore deeper space, and mm-hmm. uh, and when that failed, their mission changed. Mm-hmm. So they were just, you know. They were being the flagship, essentially. They were cutting about attending to diplomatic stuff and things yeah. like that. Um, but I really liked how it took a stance against violence in that first episode. You know, it was that's true. I mean, it's quite sanctimonious the way they present it because they're like, no, no, we're not violent at all. Well, Star and, uh, Trek often makes that mistake. Yeah, especially in season one of TNG. Um, yeah, but you have the idea of okay, this alien thing that we don't understand wants energy. Let's give it energy. See what happens and. <laughs> And, you know, it turns out that their better natures win the day and things like that. And, and that's quite a common thread through all Star Trek where they, you know, they don't succumb to their baser instincts and <clears throat> and everyone's better off for it. 
So yeah, it's, I think it's an interesting pilot. I think it's vastly different to the show that it becomes later on. Oh, it's it's a completely different show later on. Yeah, and it's interesting to revisit that in the last one because it's mm-hmm. you know so different. Although well, it still feels like a completely different show, yeah. even though they go back. Yeah, well, the change encounter at Farpoint, or the encounter at Farpoint scenes and all good things fit mm-hmm. in with, you know, almost it almost retcons how they would have. Mm-hmm. Expl- how they would have done the pilot if mm-hmm. they were making it at the time they yeah. made that yeah because the, the bridge set is the new bridge set because they couldn't mm. be bothered redressing it to its old standards and you know Data's a bit more acting like himself and mm. and, uh, and all that stuff even Troy's ditched the crappy accent in the you know yeah. in those scenes and, um, so yeah it's almost a retcon but not quite mm. yeah and uh, so do you have anything else on the the first episode and your thoughts on it before we? Not really. I mean, apart from that, I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> yeah. I think it's weird to revisit it because I know that you know I know it does get really good, and it's just I think it's a curiosity to watch it now. Very much. It. Like I say, I don't hate it, and I can yeah. sit and watch it, but it's just not something I would watch much. Yeah, the new effects add a, or it's not the new effects, That's the enhanced like... effects add a new lease on life. They do. To yeah. pretty much the entire show. Yeah. But yeah, the poorer episodes benefit more from them, I think, because when they didn't have story and visual effects carrying them, they're kind of, but at least if they've got visual effects, help carry it better if it's weaker in other areas. Yeah. So, uh, at least it's nice to look at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this brings on kind of the last episode. I mean, we'll talk about in betweens as we go, but um, I thought it was a really good ending. I thought it was clever to revisit you know how they got to that point how it's all started you know and uh show how they've kind of knitted together as a crew how picard's mellowed over the years how everyone's come to trust each other and they all work well as a team mm-hmm. um i think they they're a bit too heavy-handed with the, the past influence the future stuff i think um i don't know it becomes too much of the the narrative you know, as in the this was me in the past, and now this is me in the present. Look how good my crew is after all these years, and things like that. I, I never really took that from it, to be honest. Um, I, I I really like all good things. I think it's for me, it's the best series finale any of the modern shows have had. Um, oh yeah, by a long shot. Yeah, I like, you know, DS 9s finale. I think, it, but it leaves me a little bit cold at the end. I don't like. Yeah. It left. I don't like the way it's left a little bit too open ended for my tastes, um, especially since we're not getting to revisit those characters. Yeah. Um, and Voyager's finale just ended. Yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> um, it's not a bad finale, but it just ends. <laughs> like it's end. It's like what? Um, so yeah, for me, it's the best of the modern finales, and also. I think it just wraps. I mean, to me, it just. I, if we'd never had any movies, I could have happily gone. That's TNG done. I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, it wrapped the series up nicely for me, and it left the characters in a good place. Yeah. So, uh, I loved all the jumps back in time. I loved seeing, you know, season one and that kind of thing. And it was really nice to see Tashi Yar back, and get a little bit more development. Mm-hmm. And some good scenes with Picard. Yeah, something she never really had all that much. Um, well, and I liked seeing Picard come across aboard the Enterprise because we'd never really seen that, and that gives us some idea of when Picard took command. Mm-hmm. 
Not uh, long before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like it. I think it's good. The story held my attention, and I've rewatched it again since. Um, I would love to see an extended version with some of the cutscenes put back in, because there were additional scenes that were shot for it. Some of them are on the Blu-rays. Yeah, like the old Q scene and, mm-hmm. and some extended dialogue bits. Mm-hmm. There's well, there's two he's... versions. There's two yeah. versions of the finale. There's the movie-length version, and then there's the two-parter version. If I remember rightly, there's more Q dialogue in the movie-length version than there is in the two-parter. Because I remember some of these, there's some of the bits that are cut out are in the full-length version. Yeah. Um, so it always kind of bugged me slightly that they cut some of that stuff out of the two-parter, and that's the one that's on the DVDs, which is a bit disappointing. On the Blu-ray, yeah. sorry. Well, the, the Blu-ray one seems to be... There was a scene in there that I hadn't seen before, or an extension of one. It's the scene where old Picard is trying to convince old Worf to let them across the, mm-hmm. the border. And there's that whole, you always appeal to my sense of honour. And yeah. Picard says, that's because it always works. That, I actually hadn't seen that scene before. That's always been in there, but I could be wrong. It's a long time since I've seen it for the first time. It wasn't in the VHS version maybe it's, I had it's, access maybe to. Maybe one of the ones that got cut from the two-parter. Yeah. But the, the Blu-ray version seems to be a longer version than I've ever seen. I don't know what's actually missing Maybe. from it. But. Um, well, since I've watched it. Uh, yeah. uh, actually, I might be thinking of the iTunes version. Right. Which might be a shortened version. That's yeah. probably the one I've watched most recently. I know, two different versions. Can't keep track of them. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good finale. It's weird, though, because there's the, there's the sense that, yeah, this is just kind of a... We're closing the series, but the... Um, but the episode is, uh, or so the the film's coming out soon. We're, we're mm. working on the film as we speak. And they were filming both at the same time, weren't they? Well, no, they finished filming All Good Things. I think they took a week off or a couple of weeks off and then start, redressed the sets and started again. Yeah. Um, I mean, in I mean, I've way, read conflicting reports about that. Some have said... No, they, defi- they definitely had a break between the end of the series right. and starting on the movie. In some ways, I would like to have seen All Good Things actually be the movie, to be honest. Well, it's better than Generations. It's definitely better than Generations. It's ironic since it's the same people writing. Yeah. Because Moore and Braga wrote both. Yeah, and they wrote All Good Things in um, three weeks, allegedly. Yeah. Which, you know, would be a normal TV production mm. schedule, really, actually. But, yeah. Um, and I suppose they, they were maybe thinking too much about the... I think the problem with Generation is that the the studio had a laundry list of things they wanted from it. Yeah. So they were working to that rather than working with their instincts of what they should do. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's the better of the two, and you could oh, yeah, have definitely. you could have essentially used that plot to bring Kirk in, you know. It's, oh yeah, easily. one of the time periods would have just been Kirk, you know, and that would have been it. Uh, but it is what it is, and I think that knowing they had a movie would have shaped the finale in some way, because I imagine if there was no movie and um, or they didn't know they were getting a film and TNG was just ending <laughs> with no follow up, then you would have had things like Riker takes command of his own ship. Yeah, or, or Picard gets promoted to admiral and Riker's mm. captain of the Enterprise. Now you'd have had, in the same way in Deep Space Nine, you had everyone going off their separate ways. You'd have probably had quite a lot of that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they would have done that on TNG because I think the whole point of TNG was the fact that the adventure, you know, the adventure continues. 
So I think they, I, you know, I'm not sure they ever would have split up the crew, and I don't think that was something that really they would have considered at the time. Yeah, I could be wrong. Certainly, um, by the time they came around to Nemesis, they were thinking along those lines, but it was a different landscape at that point. Definitely, and I suppose that'd be a question for Ron Moore if you could ever get your hands on him. You know, yeah. Be, uh, if you if generations hadn't been a thing, would you have wanted to separate the crew and whatever? Because mm. um, maybe he would have. And it may have been, I don't know, you, you could almost see how that finale would play out. You know, Picard would, as I said, get promoted, Riker would move up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd maybe get a new first officer or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, I suppose if they did continue in a film, they could have played with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is, it's just, it's an ending, but there's a film coming soon. So, you know, everything is, as with most episodes, reset to factory settings by the end, in effect. Yeah. I mean, more or less. I mean, the the entire plot of the episode doesn't actually happen. You know, it's a reset button, but, but Picard remembers and then is, tells everyone. But Picard actually grows through it. Yeah. Yeah, and there's um, there's one bit uh, that always kind of bugged me. There's a bit where um, you know, they're they're discussing how to like scan the anomaly, and future data tells Picard you could use this tachyon beam mm-hmm. and then Picard returns to the present and tells Data about it and he's like I had no idea you were so well versed in temporal mechanics. And, I thought that was quite funny actually. Yeah, but that felt like a line that would belong to the past Data rather than the present Data because the present Data knew what Picard was doing so it was like oh did I tell you this in the future you know that should have been essentially the reaction Well not necessarily because why would he necessarily assume that Data had told him that Yeah but well, what I mean is, like, Data's reaction is if Picard's come up with this idea, and I suppose from his point of view he did, but I would have thought the present Data would be more aware of the fact that, you know, Picard wouldn't necessarily know well, this. possibly, stuff. but I think from... I think it just I think it just scans better dramatically if that's Data's reaction. Yeah. Um, rather, it, it, well, I don't know. You could do yeah. it either way. I like the way they did it, to be honest. Yeah, and it's... I uh, also like the bit about the, you know, there's a theoretical scanner that we can, that's in development. And then in the present day, it's like, do we have the scanner on board? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah that piece of crap. Uh, yeah, I suppose we could dust it off. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it does little things that, that plays with time in different ways. Because uh, Star Trek, historically, not the best with time travel. Whereas that one is just like, well, we don't have to they be were, consistent because we've established trying, that it's not consistent. So, yeah. They were trying to do something different with it. Um, yeah. Which was nice. It wasn't a particularly deep idea, but it was nice that they were trying something. Better than the Nexus, anyway. That's true. <laughs> um, it was a nice concept. Yeah. So, do, uh, do you have anything else to kind of add about the finale? <sighs> other than, I suppose, the, the three-nacelled Enterprise, which is hilarious with its giant cannons and stuff. The, uh, the, the one thing that actually has always bugged, that always bugged me about it when I go, oh, we started it in the future and it came to the past and, blah, blah, and so oh and it's the same it's like but actually it wasn't the Enterprise's navigational deflector that started it in the future yeah and then someone tried to can't skip over that yeah like, although someone said you know well since it was data that calibrated all three they all looked I know, the same yeah. but or it's like, can, that's not what they say though <laughs> no and it's like it doesn't matter who cares like, exactly you know, I think that's the essential response oh, yeah it's the Shatner get a life thing at that point, I think. I think um, it's, it, it says a lot of the episode is how well it's regarded and how good it is 
that generally people don't really bother that much about that. Yeah. I, I do like the future Enterprise, though. It's just silly, but it's, you know... Yeah, I always... That's one thing I really hated about it. I hated <laughs> that thug nacelle and the big gun. It's just like, ugh, really? <laughs> I remember being, like, nine design. years old, though, and then yeah. watching well, it, and like, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And then got the toy, and I was like, yes, that's so cool. <laughs> and they, obviously, they never build anything like that in real time, you no. know, in the real timeline. Although you do get the Klingon ships. They become the mm. Negvar. Mostly because they made the model and might as well use it again. You know, Star Trek always penny pinching where pennies can be pinched. Um, so now that we've talked about the last episode, we should get on to sort of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard is a logical place to start. A uh, bit stuffy to start with. Patrick Stewart always said that he didn't quite know what he was doing at first. I think didn't feel comfortable, you know. Is, yeah, I think part of that is the way the character was written, to be honest. I mean, yeah. he was written to be this elder statesman, this serious professional who you know, doesn't lead away teams and lets his first officer go in the away teams. And I think once Patrick Stewart said, look, stuff this, I, I want to go to away teams and yeah. I want to make out with the Ryan Slave girls and that <laughs> kind of thing. Um, there was really, that changed things for Picard. And once you start to get to know him, and I think once Stewart as well relaxed into the role more, and obviously once the cast made him relax more, um, and the camaraderie between the cast started to come out in their characters. I think yeah. that made a big difference to his performance as well. He was good from the start, but I think he got better once he relaxed into the role and once they got a better idea on who this character was and yeah. took the reins off a little bit. Well, I like um, how they establish him. As, you know, at first he's like the the anti-Kirk. You know, he's the oh yeah, um, that was quite neat. Yeah, he's quite pompous and distance from his crew and stuff and then as the series goes on you find out when he was younger he was a lot like Kirk mm-hmm. you know he was he was a womanizer he was reckless he was you know he always spoke his mind he was overconfident all that stuff and he mellows as time goes on whereas Kirk largely didn't I suppose yeah um, but yeah Picard was shaped differently by his experiences and um, oh, I get why they wanted to have a different captain to Kirk otherwise it's just gonna be like this is just the same with like names crossed out and changed, you know. That was sensible, and they didn't always do that with subsequent series, but series. But Picard certainly stood out in contrast to Kirk in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was kind of what you might have got if Kirk had grown up. Yeah, and you almost get the sense that Admiral Kirk is a bit more like what Picard is, <clears throat> but you never quite see it because you don't see the yeah. in between stuff. So. Um, you don't see him becoming that pompous mm. admiral guy, you know, who needs to be a bit, um, you know, needs to let his hair down again, needs to learn that, you know. And, but yeah, uh, Picard, the authority in his voice certainly was was the important thing. You know, you, whenever you're staring down someone on the view screen, you, you would believe that he, he was just had the gravitas. in charge. Yeah. He just had the gravitas and he owned the role and you believed he was who he said he was. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't think the show would have been as good with that. I'm, I'm sure you could have found another suitably talented actor, but I mean, Patrick Stewart really made the show. He did, yeah. And it's interesting how he only signed up for it because he was so sure it would get cancelled. Mm-hmm. And well, I suppose it very nearly did, but um, it was a six-year contract at first, although mm-hmm. everyone says that his contract was running out at the best of both worlds, so maybe he had a buyout clause at that point or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, actually. That was just buzz at the time. I yeah. think that was just, you know, people were speculating a lot that he might not be back. Yeah. 
And I remember that well, actually. That was a long summer. <laughs> See, I don't... I, my only memory is being able to watch the, the second part immediately after. I but... saw a bad pilot before the summer and then I had to wait at least 12 weeks to see part two <laughs> that was a long summer although the impact wasn't lost on me I recognised that it was a big deal and, mm-hmm. and it's very much a turning point for Picard as well you know it's that um, and for the show yeah it's almost that okay it's very you know it's very real that you could lose someone I suppose and, and never could happen after that but I think best of both worlds really was a turning point for the show because I think that's the point where a lot of people went this show is good. Yeah. This show is really good. And it's not. it might not be the same as the original series, but it's as good in a different way. Yeah. And it led us to one of the best episodes as well, you know, where Picard just goes to see his family. Mm-hmm. And oh, family. That's such you know. a good episode. Yeah. Um, it's the bit where, you know, he's he's clearly kidding himself at the start where he thinks he's fine and almost ready to return to duty and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then his brother just keeps jabbing at him trying to get a reaction out of him until eventually he just explodes and then mm-hmm. and then you know he lets it all out and I suppose it's a very kind of 90s yeah he can be dealing with this for a week but we need him back to normal by next week mm-hmm. you know if um, if you look if it was made now you could imagine the whole Borg thing would be uh, weighing on him forever um, and you probably wouldn't you'd have a season of him not in command as he kind of processed it mm-hmm. um, which well, I don't know these if that would be better get, or not, but... These days that would happen. Yeah. Back um, then, wasn't really practical. No. Plus, yeah. it's a vague level of... It's a vague time, you know, time mm. frame, isn't it? I mean, you know the Enterprise is being refitted for months, I suppose. Mm. Um, and Riker's still sitting on there, just because he has nothing better to do, I suppose. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and also things like uh, Picard being tortured was important for him although he was back to work the next week again yeah <laughs> I mean we, we see that this does continue to haunt him but they never really revisit it that much no but I, I, I liked his final scene with Troy in that episode where he shows that he's not just shrugged off he is still dealing with it yeah. and it did affect him and it did break him yeah I was uh, I was you know I was one more minute away from yeah. giving him whatever he wanted yeah um and they got kind of Emmy recognition for that one, mm-hmm. like well, outside of the technical categories, mm-hmm. uh, which was a first for like oh, genre yeah. television. But yeah, they didn't Patrick get the Emmy, but Patrick the nomination. Stewart. I mean, he nailed it. He was great in that. Yeah, absolutely. And As was David Warner. Yeah, I always like David Warner, and mm-hmm. his contribution to Star Trek is uh, speaks for itself. I think. Indeed. It's a shame you never saw that Cardassian he played again. Well, he shows up yeah. in books and things. Assuming he wasn't killed after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Picard had a lot to do. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the way they fleshed him out as being an equestrian was bizarre, but, but it worked. Um, yeah, it did. I mean, it gave him something that wasn't just about spaceships. and Yeah, and the archaeology stuff. That was great. You... That was probably one of the best parts about his character, and it kind of... Um, it accentuated him as an explorer and a renaissance man. Yeah. And it really, it probably, it those were probably the things that most defined Picard. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was out there because he wanted to see the universe. And, and he was a thinker. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a fighter when it came down to it. 
if he had to be, but generally he was a thinker, which was nice. Whereas okay. Kirk was a thinker, but he was probably more of a fighter. Yeah. Um, yeah, Picard would always, let's call a meeting. Mm-hmm. Let's do, yeah, we'll try it this way first, and I'll fire phasers later on if, mm-hmm. if we need to. Um, but yeah, good character. I think uh, he grows very subtly throughout the series, but mm-hmm. also very definitively. <laughs> Uh, Patrick Stewart shaped as much about the character as the writers did, I think. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, because he was requesting more to do. Mm-hmm. Get me off the bridge, let me do stuff. Um, fair enough. I think he would have been less... He would have been much less if he'd never gotten off the bridge and you know never got to participate in certain mm-hmm. things. And um, Oh, yeah. it was absolutely important that he did those things. And I think, again, they helped define the character. Had he sat on the bridge all the time, which was the original concept... I don't think the show would have done so well and I don't think Picard would have been as popular a character. No. No, other than having a great uh, authoritative voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so onto his number one is, uh, you know, Riker, who is, he started off as just Kirk. You know, he was... And ended as just Kirk. <laughs> essentially, much. yeah. Although, I do think there's a bit of a, an arc through the first three seasons. And that's there towards is. him becoming ready for the captain's chair. And that culminates in the best of both worlds. You know, where... I think part of the arc there is not so much... I mean, yes, he's becoming ready for the captain's chair, but it's accepting that he's ready for the captain's chair, because he always was. But not so much, But also accepting that he's happy to wait for the captain's chair, because Frosty's and Riker wants to be the captain. Yeah. By the time you get to best of both worlds, it's like, Chris, I've turned down command twice now. Yeah. And he's starting to doubt himself a bit, mm-hmm. and, uh, but the and he starts to realise there's more to his life than being captain. Yeah, and if you look at um, Best of Both Worlds, certainly the first part and the second part, really, mm-hmm. it is a Riker episode. Actually, mm-hmm. um, every scene that Picard's in is related to Riker or the Borg. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very little of Picard's character in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, where so. It essentially builds up to the point where Riker's in a position where he has to make a really difficult decision, and without hesitation, he makes that decision, which therefore says, I'm ready to, to move on. And then Picard comes back, mm-hmm. and Riker goes back to his old job and never talks about it again. Mm-hmm. You know, and he just and he just stays there for the next about four, four years. years. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is a bit strange because, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird to have a character built up to do something and then stagnate for so long. Yeah. But then I think after they got to that point, they didn't really know what to do with him. Yeah. And so it's just, we'll just have him do stuff. And um, it was just quite funny when he... I think that's the problem they had with Riker, is they built him up to be this guy who wants the captaincy. And it's like, well, either he moves on and takes the captaincy, or you, you know, what do you do with him? Yeah. And I think once they realized, it's like, oh, how do we keep this going for seven years, you know? Yeah. And the, the original idea was to kill him off and replace him with his duplicate. Well, it was a lesser rank and would build that's up. That's not necessarily... That wasn't the original idea. There was some talk of doing that. But I'm not sure how much of that was seriously thought out. And keep yeah. in mind, that was season six. Yeah. Where that, you know... So at that point, it was a bit... That was pretty far down the road. Yeah, you would think that would be a season five thing or something. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, to I'm not sure that would have been... a good decision anyway it's pretty cheap to be honest let's kill the character off and immediately replace him with a duplicate yeah yeah i yeah no 
it would have moved Data into a weird position that we're not used to as well, and because mm-hmm. uh, it would have had him promoted. And, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad they didn't do it that way, but at the same time, I wish they'd given Riker more stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, although it's not so much. There's not too much he can do about him when he's. Um, you know, when he, when he's stuck as the second in command, where the captain's still around, mm-hmm. uh, there's nowhere from it goes other than off the ship. And then, if he's off the ship, then he has no one to talk to, no one to interact mm-hmm. with. You know, unless you're going to set the show on two ships, which was never going to happen. Which would have been neat. Yeah. But funnily enough, they're doing that with Discovery. It seems. Yeah, so far it seems that yeah, more money to throw around. Indeed. At the moment, so. Um, but I liked Riker. Although it's quite funny in season one, two, and. In three to an extent, where it's just any time an attractive woman comes aboard, it's Riker. You you handle her, or and whenever an attractive man comes aboard, Troy's mm-hmm. you know sent <laughs> assigned to them. So it's like you're gonna. This is gonna be the token love story for the episode. Yeah, Troy got a few of those. <laughs> yeah, weren't very good most of the time. <laughs> yeah, um, at least Riker was somewhat defined. Uh, Troy was not. No, for very much of it. Yeah, it's not until later on, probably once Jerry Taylor had more influence, Troy, Troy and Crusher became more defined characters, which is nice. But it does do, it does kind of underline how even in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, there was still quite a bit of misogynism going on in the show. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Cupid, which is a great <laughs> episode, but it's like all the boys are there fighting with swords and bows, and the women are smashing vases over people's heads. You're <laughs> yeah. like, really? Really? Yeah, it's a bit dodgy. And Troy was problematic anyway because her function was unclear. You know, you had this whole... Um, I feel great pain. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, shut up, Deanna. <laughs> it's like a snarling alien on the view screen and she's like... I, I feel anger. hostility. <laughs> hostility. <laughs> yes, counsellor. Thank you for that. There's one episode where I'm sure there's one episode where Riker, not Riker, Picard calls her out on it as well. He's like, "Well, yeah, I can tell. Even I can tell that." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you might be right, actually. Yeah. Um, although once once Jellico makes her wear a uniform, which I don't understand why she wasn't. She's uh, wearing a uniform in the pilot. Yeah, and then never again mm-hmm. until season six. Yeah. Um, I think Marina Sirtis always talks about how she liked when she got the uniform because. Mm-hmm. It allowed her character to be taken more seriously, whereas mm-hmm. she was just war- wandering around skin tight pajamas before mm-hmm. that. Um, but she did have some good episodes. She did. Uh, that dark page face episode of the is probably oh, dark our best. Page is very good. Yeah, and the face, um, face of the, the enemy. enemy. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, Those are the probably one where, the two standouts. The one where she has that subplot about learning how to be uh, a commander. That was interesting. That was okay. She's actually quite good in the loss, although Troy's actually pretty whiny and unlikable in that. But I thought that was very well done. Because the child was was her lowest point for me. I think the child wasn't great, although that was a recycled Phase Two script. Um, I've never seen the Phase Two fan episode version of that. Okay, it's. I never really saw the point in doing it, but I mean, it's okay. They did an okay job. It's not. It's different from the TNG episode, but not so different that I really saw the point in doing it. But, you know, they had fun doing it. It's a decent enough film. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll watch it at some point. Um, I certainly don't like the TNG version. but It's not um, great. 
No. I can't think of any other defining points for, for Troy. Her relationship with Worf was weird. That came out of nowhere and didn't go Yeah, anywhere. that was strange. Yeah. Very strange. I mean, I get the idea of Worf coming back from a parallel universe and being open at possibilities he hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. But why does it have to be shacking up with Troy? You know, like, why couldn't it be he's thinking about command afterwards? You know, something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that would have been more in keeping with Worf's character rather than, hmm, I didn't consider a relationship with Troy stoop. before. <laughs> I will stoop the counsellor. <laughs> yeah. Um, weird. Uh, I suppose some of Troy's best moments were with Barclay, actually. I think... Um, Ah, yeah. Those two did, the did well together. She was great with him, actually. Yeah. And one of the few times you actually get to see her really counselling someone. Yeah. Yeah, and her appearances in Voyager. I, I liked her appearances in Voyager. She was great okay. in. Um, oh, God. It wasn't Lifeline. Pathfinder Project. She was great in that. And I, I, I always thought Troy became more interesting when they let Marina become more Marina. <laughs> Yeah. Because um, if you've ever met... Well, I've seen was, her on stage and yeah, stuff. Yeah, she's, she's very dry. She's very, very, very sarcastic. And letting more of that come through into Troy, I thought, was actually beneficial. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, giving her a bit of attitude, a bit of a bit mm-hmm. of spunk, you know, that was, that was much welcomed for her, I think. Um, I don't really have much to say about Troy other than that. I think she's... Let's move on. Yes. Uh, go for data. There's a lot to say about data. Uh, Too much. It, amazingly, he grew and stayed the same, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, his understanding of what humanity was changed, uh, but not to the point where he was one. And I quite like that because the, there is an end point of his character, and I feel like generations rushed it just mm-hmm. by sticking the emotion chip in and let's have him be annoying because he's feeling for the first time. And I. Um, I always felt that data getting emotion should have been an organic thing where at some point he'd realise he actually did have emotions. It was always built in. He just had to unlock it. Yeah. Maybe. He just half the time didn't realise what was going on. Yeah. I think if you look at an episode like The Most Toys, which is actually one of data's best episodes, yeah, where he clearly makes a value judgment to shoot Fajo. I mean, it's inherent in the episode. And then he lies about it. I mean, well, then you go into an episode like Legacy with Tasha Yar's sister, and she's lied to him. And he's not just faking being hurt by that. He is hurt. He yeah. might not realise it, but he, I mean, there's so many times in, and I think a lot of this is the beauty of Brent Spiner's performance. Inherently, there is an emotion to data. I don't think most of the time Data realises it. So mm. I think I would have liked to have seen it develop that actually Data always had had emotion. He just didn't really understand them. And over time, he came to understand them and incorporated them into himself. Yeah. And he grew up and became emotionally mature, as opposed to, oh, here's a chip, we'll stick it in you. Yeah. Which is, you know, you, a yeah. bit of a, you know... No, you're just going to make stupid jokes for the next hour and mm-hmm. a half and annoy the mm-hmm. audience and... And we're going to try and forget about your emotion chip in the future films mm. because it doesn't because it doesn't match what we want to do with this character. You know? Yeah, we'll just. Then you get around to Nemesis, it just isn't there, you know. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I always loved Data. He was always my favorite character growing mm. up. I just really liked him. I don't. I really like the fact that 
from my perspective as a, a six-year-old or whatever, this guy knows everything. Oh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't know everything, but he's you know he comes across that way without being pompous about it, and just the way he doesn't understand rudimentary things. Like uh, Riker was always a good foil for him because Riker is the most human member of the cast, mm-hmm. uh, and Data is not. So the way that Riker would make say things, and and Data would just be like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Constantly, it was always you know it always worked. Mm-hmm. It was a. Uh, yeah, he was he was a good character. Brent Spiner was excellent. He got to do some great work throughout. You know, he got to do that Shakespeare uh, stuff. Oh yeah, that uh, was where, cool. Where Patrick Stewart played one of the holograms as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Sherlock Holmes stuff was always a good fun. And mm-hmm. uh, the episode where he, he was like copied a fistful of datas, where you know he was. Oh yeah, that was pretty funny actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's not That's a great episode. One of the most but, better episodes actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I suppose you could see Data and Worf as being essentially the comic relief mm-hmm. some of the time. Some of the and, time. Yeah, although they, they both had these kind of clever, deep plots around them as well. But, you know, whenever you wanted to laugh, it would generally come from them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a large part of it is Brent Spiner. He's just, he's great. I wish I'd, I wish I'd seen him in more things afterwards because every time he turns up in something, it's usually scientist or whatever yeah he's got much more to him than that oh yeah definitely he's got good comedic timing yeah and i don't think any of the tng cast didn't have good comedic timing they just didn't use them they didn't always get that i think marina certis has very good comedic timing actually yeah i mean always um one thing that always struck me about jonathan frakes is if you're watching a scene that isn't about him Mm -hmm. and you watch Riker in the background yeah he's, he's always doing something and it's you know, he could easily just sit there, but Frakes is always just kind of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the way he sits down is always funny. Mm-hmm. You know, he puts his leg over the chair as he sits. That's Because Riker doesn't know how to use a chair. <laughs> <laughs> was it not like Frakes had some back issue or something like that, that? That rings a bell, actually. Yeah, and that was how he had to sit down. I don't know. It was just uh, pretty definitive for him. It was. It, it was, was. Yeah. Definitely. Um and uh, Data's friendship with Jordy was quite interesting because they're both essentially outcasts mm-hmm. in a way. You know, Data's not human and Jordy is... Well, he has his own issues. Uh, intimacy issues being one of them, which is weird. Yeah, he's yeah. not good with women. No. Um, yeah, he falls in love with a holographic representation of a real person. and then mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't remember anything else relationship-wise. There was some ensign he was trying to ask out and mm-hmm. she wasn't for it. Um, and then later he pulled up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose Jordy was one of the least defined. He was kind of defined by his job more than anything else, I think. Too much. I mean, his best episodes were probably with Leia Brahms and um, The Enemy. Mm. Where he's on the surface of the planet with that Romulan. And I would have liked to have seen more of Jordy like that. And he was very good in that. Um that was probably defined. He, I mean, Jordy, more than any of the characters, probably the the biggest wide-eyed optimist of the group. Yeah, and I think Lavar Burton brought that earnestness and that optimism to the character. He was one of the most well-known actors at the time. He was. He? he was very famous for playing Kunta Kinte in Roots at the time. Yeah, and there was that a uh, that boxing movie he was in that mm-hmm. was quite popular. And he was also Rainbow, in of course. That before that? And he would also had a role as a police officer in Cameo's Word Up video. 
Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so he was, yeah, he was probably one of the more well-known at the time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, he was certainly one of the biggest names. I mean, Frakes, yeah. Patrick Stewart hadn't been in much, to be honest. No, um, he was well-known on stage. He was well-known on stage, but TV and movies, I mean, he'd been in Life Force and some other things, but he wasn't a big name. No. Um, Frakes was a bigger name, to be honest. I mean, he'd been in a lot of things as a supporting actor. He'd been in North by Northwest, The Waltons, things like that. And he was, you know, he was a fairly well-known, you know, good-looking, tall, leading man type that would come in and do guest roles and go away again. And he ran around in a Captain America costume. Um, like, he would go to appearances as Captain America for mm-hmm. Marvel as well. I've seen right. a picture of that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I'll make sure to put in the show notes, actually. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Frakes gets around, I suppose, mm. as does Riker. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jordy, most of his plots were about fixing something. Indeed. Um, which he got had a bit tedious. an awful lot of technobabble, which, you know, respect yeah. to LeVar Burton, that stuff's not easy to deal with as an actor. Yeah, well, they make fun of that in the finale where he says, you know, we've got a problem with the phase inducers or mm-hmm. warp core or some other damn thing. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and obviously he couldn't get his eyes, which is mm-hmm. important for an actor. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, for an actor, then you, you, you know, you've got a lot of tools in your box. So actors that don't have their eyes use other things. And I thought yeah. he was very effective in using other body language and stuff like that to emote. Yeah. He was oh. always very big with his hands. Yeah, I liked him. I thought he did a good job in the role. I would have liked to see him have more to do, but, you know, he never did. No. Uh, Other than the odd episode here and there. The episode Mm -hmm. where his mother died was interesting, because, again, that was... It seemed like they were going down the... Oh, look, they've went through some wormhole and now they're here. Yeah. We can save them, but it was just him being... Indeed, and that was quite nice. Yeah. The episode itself was... Middling. Okay, but the actual resolution of it was pretty nice. Yeah. That they didn't have, like, a neat... You know, a solution in it. Yeah, where he suffered. He actually genuinely suffered loss and had to deal mm-hmm. with it. It was a good shout for him as a, an actor as well. You'll have to call again. I'm just leaving. Star Trek The Next Generation is far too big to be distilled into one mere podcast. To give you listeners a break, we're going to cut this here and return in part two, which is available now. Big thank you to YouTubers Captain Meatshield and Samo Studios for the music you've heard here. If you like what you heard so far, then please join us in part two and many of the other editions of Neil Before Pod. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app.